Welcome to The Deep End by On Deck, a podcast for visionary builders, creators, and thinkers discuss world-changing stories and ideas. I'm your host, Marshall Kozloff. On Deck is where ambitious people worldwide go to start companies, find their next roles, and invest in their careers. The Deep End invites the founders, operators, and investors from the On Deck community and beyond to turn their experiences into the ideas others need to start their own odysseys. Joining me this week in the deep end is Johnny Price, the VP of fundraising at WeFunder. WeFunder describes themselves as the Robin Hood for pre-IPO startups. In May 2016, the Obama administration made it legal for everyday people to invest as little as $100 in startup businesses. On today's show, we talk about how to level the investment playing field. We chat about why it's a problem that 77% of venture capital has gone to just three states and brainstorm how to build wealth for some of our earliest cheerleaders, for some of your earliest cheerleaders. We also discuss what it means to raise a community round, which is a big part of what On Deck has done for ODX. As part of this movement to fix capitalism, WeFunders also released an impact report on its website. Joya talks about it during the episode, but you can read the full thing for yourself at wefunder.com slash pbc. You can also find Johnny on Twitter at Johnny C. Price. That's J-O-N-N-Y C. Price. Hope you enjoy the episode. Johnny Price, welcome to the Deep End. Thanks so much, Marshall. It's great to be here. I was really excited to speak with you about WeFunder because just to start off, your company has a really interesting impact report that's linked on the website. And it actually opens with something really ambitious, which is, hi, we're WeFunder. We're here to fix capitalism, right? Like ambitious. That's a that's a whole big thing. <laughs> yeah. So I'd love to ask this question two ways. One, just explain what you all mean by that. And then two, to the personal level, what attracts you to working at a company focused within this type of framing? Yeah, I love that. So yeah, WeFund is a public benefit corporation. So you can incorporate as a C-Corp, as an LLC. You can also incorporate as a public benefit corporation where you write a charter and then you're legally obligated not to maximize shareholder value, but to uphold that charter. And so you're, what you're referring to there are PBC Impact Report. We also talk about our charter. If anyone wants to check it out, they can go to wefunder.com slash PBC for Public Benefit Corporation and read it for yourself. It's a big part of why I joined WeFunder, as you say. For me, there's kind of two sides to our marketplace, right? So WeFunder is a platform that lets startup founders raise capital from anyone, their customers, their community, their friends and family, as well as millionaires and institutional accredited investors. Um, we use this new SEC exemption called regulation crowdfunding to do that. Um, so we're a two-sided marketplace. We have founders raising capital from their community, and we have investors investing in those founders. And for me, WeFunders' uh, mission is about both sides of the marketplace. So on the founder side, what we're trying to do is make it easier for founders to raise capital. We want to get more capital flowing to startup founders throughout America to let more founders take their shot at pursuing their American dream. And not just in aggregate, getting more capital flowing to founders, but also if you disaggregate right now, less than 3% of venture capital goes to female only founders versus about 80% going to male only founders, 80%, 3%. We think our platform, a more democratic 
approach to early stage investing when anyone gets to be the investor, not just rich old white dudes. Maybe we can level the playing field for female founders. Right now, 1% of VC dollars goes to black founders. Um, right now, 77% of venture capital goes to three states, California, New York, and Massachusetts. So if we can empower women of color in Tennessee, where I live, um, you know, or Ohio or Arkansas, um, where Kate on our team is working, then maybe we can get more dollars flowing to founders, um, you know, from those backgrounds. So that's kind of on the founder side, what we're trying to do. And then on the investor side, what we're trying to do is I give the story of Jason Calacanis, who invested, uh, I think, $25,000 in Uber's seed round and made a 5,000 extra return in their IPO. Broad strokes from what I've heard. Um, so that's $125 million for Jason Calacanis, who was already pretty, pretty rich, right? So the idea with WeFunder is what if instead of Jason having $125 million more dollars, what if we could split that around 125 people investing $200 each in Uber seed round, and then we create 125 new millionaires? Why should only millionaires and billionaires get to benefit from the huge wealth that's going to be created when on-deck founders you know, build their unicorns? Um, let's let ordinary people, middle-class Americans, participate in that upside. They can invest in Starbucks on the stock market. Why can't they invest in their friend's SaaS startup? Um, and we do tech startups. We do Main Street companies as well. So they could invest in their neighborhood coffee shop now as well. So that's kind of on the investor side of the marketplace, what we're trying to do. And to your question on my personal motivation, I mean, that kind of says it. The company mission is a big part of why I joined WeFunder um, back in early 2018. Wow, Johnny, a million different ways to go. Let's just start with the most obvious just as a person who works in tech but isn't actively investing in anything, it seems like everything you're describing shouldn't be legally possible. <laughs> you always think of the accredited investor term, thus the conventional way of this framing. Obviously, there's a story here as regards to, I'm sure, the way um, y'all are structured and laws that have changed. But just explain that side, how at a policy level this is possible. Marshall, I'm loving this podcast so far. These are just nice, you know, softballs for me to knock out of the park. This is great. So back in 2012, when WeFunder was founded, our co-founders, um, you know, they had a bunch of smart friends in Boston who were making, you know, creating these awesome startups. And they knew, oh, well, these guys are brilliant, making these great startups, would love to invest. But to your point, our founders weren't accredited. The definition of accredited is something like you have 200K income, 300K household income, or a million dollars of um, household wealth, excluding your primary residence, excluding your house. Roughly about 5% of the population, um, something like that. And so they said, this is this sucks, <laughs> like that we can't invest in our friend's startups. And it seems pretty un-American. And I can, like I say, you can go to the uh, stock market and invest in public companies, or I can go to Las Vegas and invest in quotes $5,000 on the spin of a roulette wheel. Why on earth can't I invest in, in my friend's startup? This is crazy. Why are these security laws that have been in place since the 1930s preventing us from doing this? Why do you have to be accredited? And so they lobbied Congress with other people as well, but they lobbied Congress and managed to succeed, which, as you know, politics in America is pretty impressive to get something done. Um, this is remarkably bipartisan, you know, because Democrats are excited about getting more capital flow into women of color, right? And Republicans say, yeah, let's make it easier for entrepreneurs to raise capital. And so it's bipartisan. They got this through Congress. The Jobs Act was signed into law by Obama in 2012. Um, 
It then took the SEC four years to roll it out, and they did that in May 2016. So May 2016 was kind of fanfare, like trumpet sound moment when for the first time in 80 years, ordinary people, unaccredited investors, non-millionaires were able to invest in startups um, along with accredited investors, about half of investment volume on WeFunder is accredited investors. We're certainly not against accredited investors or VCs. We just think you should be able to raise from your community and customers as well as angels and VCs. And so, yeah, since May 2016, it's been legal for startups to raise capital from their community and their customers. Um, and they do that using an exemption called regulation crowdfunding. So normally startups are raising capital using regulation D which is limited to accredited investors. And with regulation crowdfunding, it actually does two cool things. The first, as you mentioned, is it allows unaccredited investors to invest. Um, and the second thing is that you can now publicly promote the offering. So you can put it on a LinkedIn post. You can send an email blast to your customers. You can come on the Deep End podcast and talk about your WeFunder campaign that's live. Um, so the combination of being able to market it publicly and then anyone that sees that promotion can invest is pretty powerful. And uh, I have a huge bone to pick with you, as you uh -oh. should learn, referring to a podcaster's questions as softballs, deeply, deeply, deeply hurts <laughs> one. And uh, I'll just say, man. well, because it's because it's, like, it is a challenge, but no, the, the key the key thing is that, I, I mean, this seriously, you're giving really substantive answers. Um, like I'm actually like, learning a lot from it. So uh, I will say, if I were just to say, Tell me about your company and you say democracy. I mean, that would be, that would be a dissatisfying softball, but I, <laughs> I really appreciate the substance. So to, to go a little deeper then, you keep using this word community. Mm -hmm. And at a narrative level, that's very interesting. So on deck with on ODX, we will talk about how we're, you know, a community driven fund. This word has become increasingly in vogue, especially after the immediate COVID moment when people were really thinking about this type of structure. Can you talk about why that's your framing? When I think if we did this episode five or six years ago, you would have talked more about crowdfunding and those different parts. Like, wh What does the word community specifically convey in your space? Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's a great question because we're actually right now in the middle of trying to orchestrate a repositioning of the entire industry, which is a lot of fun. So as you say, you know, for the last few years, I've been talking about equity crowdfunding, investment crowdfunding. And increasingly, we're trying to jettison that language because two reasons. One, when people say crowdfunding, they think of Kickstarter. And this is not Kickstarter. This isn't a perk or a discount on a product. This is you're getting equity in the startup, right? Um, and then secondly, raising from the crowd seems kind of impersonal, right? Raising from your community Turning your community and your customers into owners in your startup seems really cool. And it's actually a really powerful example for me of how repositioning um, something and branding um, and, and narrative and word choice can actually be really powerful. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're talking increasingly of community rounds where you can run a friends and family round where you're raising from your friends and family. You, you can run an angel round where you're raising from angels. And with the community rounds, you're looking at raising from your community. And so for me, I, there's, there's two words that kind of, you know, almost interchangeable mean obviously different things, but we talk a lot about customers and community, right? And so for me, if you're raising capital on WeFunder, it is, I'm using this phrase, delight your customers. For me, there's no, I, I read a blog post about this recently. 
I can't think of a better way for a startup to delight their customers than to let them invest in the startup, um, right? That's going to jack up their net promoter score. They're kind of really, they, they get this kind of access to the, to the founder. They, they're now kind of along for the ride. They're going to churn less. They're going to have a higher LTV. You know, if, if it's a competitive marketplace, that they're much more likely to have a higher share of wallet now with this company that they are an owner of. Right, whether that's a whiskey uh, distillery or whether that's um, you know a SaaS platform, um, and so that's this idea of kind of delighting your customers, and then on the community side, we're talking about engaging your community or building stronger relationships with your community. And again, what startup founder isn't desperately trying to seek ways to build kind of stronger ties among their community of users? And again, so opening up um, part of your round to allow your community to invest in you really can't think of a better way to, to build deeper ties among your community. And when I say part of your rounds, that that's pretty key. So if, you know, if I was, I'm not the CEO of WeFunder, um, I'm not kind of shaping our, our capital strategy. Um, but if I was a founder, I'd want VCs to invest in me. That's great signal, provide a lot of value, right? Expertise, take a board seat, go deep. It's awesome. But it's it's complementary for me. The community rounds that we're trying to run and encourage founders to, to do more and more, it's complementary. It's not a replacement to venture capital. But Mercury Bank is a great example. Just raised 120 million Series D, Co2, Andreessen Horowitz, and then opened up $5 million allocation to their customers at the end of the round. So you have the complementary value out of VCs, but then also allowing their customers to invest. They raised five million on WeFunder in five hours um, by sending one email to their to their customer base. They didn't even open it up to WeFunder's million investors um, to let our investors invest. I'm sure they would have loved to, but for Imad and the team at Mercury, this is solely about hey, let's let our existing customers invest. And so, yeah, for for us, a community round it's it's part of a Series B, it's part of a Series A, and you know, it, it can also be the entirety of a friends and family round. We want to work with founders at every stage, at every step of the journey. But yeah, we see it very much as complementary to VC rather than replacing it. You know, it's really interesting to see how in a space that's narrative-driven like tech, narratives working their way out. So like you said, I'm not saying you exactly would say this, but it's easy to imagine a version of this episode seven years ago where people said, what are VCs? They're just these big people. You don't need them on the board. Just only have them. You could raise as much money, but we're at this real moderate stage mm -hmm. where funding from VC serves certain purposes. Funding from a community serves other purposes. But let's dive more into the community phrasing and the implications of the framework here. Mm -hmm. Are there certain industries... So not just startups versus main street small businesses, but like actual product categories mm -hmm. where community is more of a valid thing. So for example, I could see, let's say you and I try to start a restaurant it's on a down. specific location. I'm like that's an down, example dude. where I gotta a, be, I gotta be front of house because <laughs> I can't cook, but I can be the maitre d' English accent. I don't know. Like, or, I mean, you'd be pretty good in that role too. So maybe we need to find the chef. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I can't cook either. So we've got to, we, ha we actually have structure. <laughs> we need, we actually need a third. We're, we're both front we need house. a marketplace need... for uh, co founders. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, exactly. It, it's actually kind of funny, though, because to, to, to the point, let's, like, let's roll with it for a second. The, the, the point here is we could identify where we want it to be. We can identify, maybe it's like people who like podcasts and tech, like whatever. Right. 
that's a specific community that we actually could target pretty straightforwardly. If you're a SaaS company, you know, right? I like think if you're most mm-hmm. boring, but like 10x return providing SaaS company, I like what, what, what does that, so like Mercury, it's like with Mercury, right? Like what is, what does community mean in that context? Less at the series D level, because I get that. That makes a lot of sense, right? You've, you've been along for the ride. There's a lot of signal with, you know, A16. I get doing that, but at the A level, what would you think it would look like? Are there any examples of that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, a good example that comes to mind is this company called Leah Labs. So they went through Y Combinator um, and their tagline is maybe my all-time favorite WeFunder tagline. I like our one, which is angel investing for everyone. Um, But I really like Leah Labs one, which is curing cancer in dogs. So as the tagline immediately tells you, they're a biotech company, very early stage, trying to cure cancer in dogs. And they went through YC and they were pretty early, right? So there's a lot of kind of tech risk, science risk. And so a lot of the investors kind of coming out of YC demo day, even with the YC imprimatur, you know, were, were kind of maybe reluctant to invest. And so Wes then opened up a community around on WeFunder. One of my favorite things to do is if you, there's a, t- a tab on WeFunder pages, it's called, you know, what people say. And when you invest in a company on WeFunder, we ask you, it's optional, but we ask you, why did you invest? And there's a place where investors can write notes. And one of my favorite things to do is to read these notes. And so if you read the Leah Labs investor notes, so many of them are saying, my dog died of cancer. And if I can be a small part of like helping eradicate cancer in dogs, that's amazing. And it it's it that is what is motivating investors this is really central to WeFunder's brand by the way we talk about investing in startups you love we really try hard to frame it as you know hey this is you know you, you should do this because you believe in the founder because there's a cause you care about you know because you want to be along for the ride and have a first, first you know first front row seat for this journey as opposed to to become a millionaire and make a ton, ton of money um and you, we see this again and again in the investor notes um, but that that's kind of an example for me of where it's a biotech company, you know, <laughs> like it, it doesn't have a bunch of consumers or customers yet by a long stretch. It's years away from kind of, I think it's USDA approval for, for veterinary science. But um, that that's an example. And then with the kind of boring SaaS company that you mentioned, you know, I think it's like it's whatever kind of aspect there's a community for whatever you're doing, right? So whatever kind of boring, narrow kind of, you know, aspect of the business world that you're you're focused on, it's like, okay, what are the Reddit forums? What are the kind of, you know, Facebook groups or Discord groups that are kind of talking about that and really interested in that? And then, yeah, to go to those guys and show them, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're building. You know, if you're interested, no worries if you're not. But if you're interested, here's, here's where you, you invest. And one other kind of point I'll say on the community side, we haven't touched on this yet. Um, you know, so far it's been about, you know, what's in the what's in the kind of interests of the founder, right? And I would argue our strong conviction and hypothesis at WeFunder is that if a founder can recruit, you know, thousands of people to be investors in the company, you know, if it's a consumer-facing company, that's loyal customers. And if it's a B2B SaaS company, that's thousands of people that can help share this job description for them or connect them to enterprise customers. So our strong conviction is having an army of supporters is good for you. That's in the interest of the founder. That's why companies are going to allocate part of their round to do this. But there's another kind of um, cool thing here, another kind of maybe secondary reason why founders would do this and open up um, you know, some of their cap table to you know, their customers and community is like, if you're going to slave away at building a big company over 10 years, 
wouldn't it be cool if the people that you build wealth for were your earliest supporters and customers and champions and people that were cheerleading for you along the way, as well as, you know, kind of millionaires and VCs. Um, and I always say like the organic food movement, like hasn't grown so exponentially over the last few decades because it's good for the environment. I think it's grown because it's good. People think it's good for their bodies <laughs> and the environmental benefits are probably the, the secondary kind of reason it's grown. And for me, like, yeah, building wealth for your community is probably secondary. That's like the equivalent of being good for the environment on the organic food side. The real reason organic food is growing, it's good for my body. The real reason startup founders are, are going to do this is because I think it's going to accelerate their revenue growth and delight their customers and engage their community, you know, but there is this cool secondary benefit that like, yeah, going back to the mission of WeFunder and letting investors and uh, ordinary investors share in the wealth that's being created by capitalism. Um, it's kind of a nice benefit as well, sometimes for founders to, to think about. It's it's interesting. I'm looking at the uh, once again like the report, which once again I really suggest people actually read. It's just it's just interesting as just a thing that um, to look for. You you specifically talk about how you believe that people are wiser than banks or venture capitalists. You know the wisdom of the crowd makes better decision than gatekeepers. I'm curious that as y'all have been at this for a couple of years, there's there's a long enough track. I mean I'll just read a couple of numbers off, right? Like. Since 2012, $450 million raised, $5 billion raised after that, over 1.42 million investors, nearly 2,000 founders funded. This is like really interesting. What do you think would be the, how would you characterize the broad track record of the claim you're making, right? So if you think of the idea of like a good venture capital fund will get the home run, there'll be some doubles and there'll be a triple. How, how do you think within that metaphor, if we typically think about performance success, how would you say the average person basically is? But once again, the, the numbers are smaller. So if you put $200 in, it's different than like really going in for your fund. But I'm just curious how you think about this idea. Yeah. I might slightly change the wording there from the people are better decision makers to the people are also good decision makers. Or I don't know quite the wording, but the point is that I think when we launched WeFunder, it was like, you know, wisdom of the crowd, wisdom of the crowd, you know, it's all about the wisdom of the crowd. And what our CEO Nick talks about is, you know, over time we've kind of learned that, you know, you need both actually. You need the wisdom of the experts um, as well as the wisdom of the crowd. And you, if it's solely mob rule, you can get into you can get into trouble. So one of the ways we've tried to kind of um, mitigate that in how we've designed the WeFunder product is that every company on WeFunder has a lead investor who's typically putting in in, in the WeFunder round. He's typically putting in about five percent of the um, total raise target. So if a company is looking at raising a million, maybe their lead investor might be fifty k on average. Um, and so that's an angel who's, you know, got some kind of experience and, you know, knows what they're doing and kicking the tires and kind of pushing back on the valuation to prevent those valuations kind of running, running away. Um, and so there's other kind of product mechanisms that we've put in place. We have an expert interview panel where founders get, get interviewed by experts in that sector. There's then a video that's put on their campaign page um, that, that investors can look at to really try to you know, to have the wisdom of the experts, um, you know, complement the wisdom of the crowd. So that's all as, as kind of slightly nuanced context to this point. Uh, in terms of track record, um, 
we funded like from from 2016 when the laws changed this actually allows me to talk about another point that's pretty interesting here and relevant so from from 2016 when regulation crowdfunding went into effect until march of 2021 there were some problems with the laws so you could only raise uh 1.07 million dollars per year Initially, we couldn't even roll investors to one line on the cap table. Then we figured out a way to do that using a custodian structure. But that was still kind of suboptimal. Um, and it, you needed to kind of do a bunch of legal paperwork and financial disclosures before you could start raising money. So that meant you, it took like a month to launch. And so these three things, the million dollar cap, kind of complicated cap tables and um, you know slow time to launch, meant that there was adverse selection. And so some awesome companies did it, but we wouldn't have been able to persuade Mercury Bank or Levels or Rome, you know, to, to launch a uh, WeFunder uh, round in 2018, 2019. Um, and so because of this adverse selection, we don't have the data on it yet. It's pretty early days, right? In, in 2016, it was it was a small trickle of companies. You know, the, the kind of power law upside like winners haven't hit yet because it's still pretty early days. Um, but I'm not super optimistic about the kind of IRR of WeFunders 2016-2017 cohort. Let's see. We try to track our results, by the way, at wefunder.com slash results if you want to go and check it out. Um, but in March 2021, the SEC rolled out three really important improvements to the regulation crowdfunding laws. So firstly, now companies can raise $5 million per year, previously $1.07 million. Secondly, we can now use a special purpose vehicle, an SPV, to roll investors to one line on the cap table. And then thirdly, you can launch in what's called testing the waters, where you can spin up a, a page on WeFunder in 15 minutes and start accepting reservations in your round. Um, you, know, you still need to do the legal paperwork, but you can now proceed in parallel so we can move a lot more quickly. Um, so those three things now mean that it's just a different conversation. And so a lot, you know, there's the adverse selection is kind of now gone. And so like we are all very, very, very confident that, you know, the kind of portfolio performance of startups launched on WeFunder since March 2021 um, and going forward um, is going to be um, significantly better. And obviously our hope is it's not just like which companies are, you know, gonna gonna choose to do this um but then if if our conviction is right that hey if you recruit this army of supporters and champions as owners that's going to do good things for your business if that is true we'll find out over the next decade then obviously you know um hopefully we can um have some very very nice uh, returns for for investors but it, it's still pretty early and certainly yeah uh, if you look at the last the last few years we don't have the data yet um but uh you know I will be, because of the adverse selection we've had, I'm, I'm not kind of too optimistic um, for the results today. We'll see. Yeah, no, thanks for the, thanks for the very fr frank honesty around that. Um, but I'm glad you modified my question because you helped illustrate a truth. Have you, have you read Shoe Dog? I haven't. I, it's on my list. I need to. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great book. Um, for those who don't know, it's the it's Phil Knight's memoir when he's creating Nike. And the, what's so fascinating about the book, most of the drama is around how difficult it was for him to get funding from from banks, from Japanese corporations, hmm. and it speaks to 
what you're talking about here, where if the system and obviously venture was, so if it was traditional venture capital would have put money into Nike um, in a way that wasn't traditional today. If Nike was getting founded today and we're getting the success that Phil was having, he would not have trouble getting funding. But back in the seventies, if you just think about this community idea, like if you, if you had had it, if it was possible for mm. runners and folks who really bought into the brand and the idea and the story early, you would have seen an example of how certain institutions, venture capital as it existed then, banks, existing big corporations in Japan, it's not that they can't fund some things well. It's not that they shouldn't exist. It's not that they're not good at gatekeeping in, in certain contexts. Your point from what I'm taking from your modification is that there are just some cases where we need to think of these things as complementary, different things can do different parts. That, that's just really well taken. A, a quick follow-up, and you're not a, you're not a you know legal policy person, so apologies if you can't give me the exact answer, but the numbers you're citing in terms of the rules are so precise, so one point Oh, seven million dollar limit, five million dollar limit on yearly funding. How how do those numbers come about in terms of what the um, government is comfortable with as as per this system? I'm just curious how those very specific numbers work. Yeah, so I think the reason why there are kind of limitations around this, right? And so there's limitations on the founder side. So you know, raise five million dollars per year. Um, and then there's limitations on the investor side. So there's a formula that the SEC has, which we kind of have in our WeFunded checkout flow, right? Um, but it's like dictates how much anyone can invest depending on their income and wealth levels, like a formula based on that, right? And so um, I think the reason why the SEC put these um, limits in place, and actually, maybe surprisingly, we welcome them on the on the WeFunded team. Is because it's the same reason why for a while it was, or for what, when I say a while, I mean 80 years, <laughs> uh, it wasn't mm -hmm. legal for um, unaccredited investors to invest in startups, which is that, you know, on the one hand, I mean, you, you could say like, oh, like, you know, unaccredited investors, like don't have the sophistication to invest or like don't understand. We don't really buy that. But like kind of more black and white, like to say, well, you know, ord ordinary kind of maybe middle class Americans might not have the same money to lose, might not be able to afford to lose that because they're not millionaires. Yeah, that's fair enough. Right. That's that's difficult to argue with. And it's way riskier to invest in a you know seed round startup. And it's way more illiquid to invest in a seed round startup to invest in you know a google on the stock market where it's google's not going away anytime soon and you can sell your shares tomorrow if you need to and so i think there's good reasons why the sec where for 80 years ordinary people couldn't invest in startups now okay when we roll it out we'll roll it out in a kind of you know incremental way so in 2016 let's do 1.07 million then in 2021 let's increase it to 5 million but let's kind of do it a little gradually and and you could say conservatively but again we kind of welcome the guardrails you have to you know um, you have to share financials when you launch a regulation crowdfunding campaign you have to do it through a registered portal so these are some of the um, the policies that the SEC has put in place to try and mitigate the risk um, to to retail investors and then in terms of why specifically it was 1.7 million now it's 5 million I guess you got to draw the line somewhere. There's a, there's a rule where anyone, um, irrespective of your income and wealth, can invest two thousand two hundred dollars uh, per year. So they asked me why that specific number was uh, chosen, 
But um, yeah, that's I think the general kind of principle of why there are these guardrails in place. Um, that's that's kind of the answer, and yeah, we welcome that. So I have two last big questions. The first question would be: It makes very clear on your website. And just the fact that y'all are looking at this 2012 to 2021 space that mm. a lot of these investments, a lot of the system is a long-term effort. Right. Like you said, what happens in 2015, 2016, 2017, even that, which feels a long time ago, is still bracketed under this very, very early days thing. So right. I'd love for you just to articulate either from the company's perspective or your personal perspective, what the timeline feels like for you. Is this a, in 10 years look at WeFunder, and this will just be a typical way that startups approach this space. How, how do you think about the timeline from uh, as we're balancing these different factors? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I honestly don't really think about it. It's not like in X years, Y percentage of like, you know, early stage startup investing or growth stage startup investing will be coming from the crowd, you know, as it is from accredited investors. I don't know what percentage of, you know, public stock market funds are coming from retail investors versus hedge funds versus pension funds, whatever. Um, you know, uh, we're just kind of focused on executing for the stage we're at, right? Which is the percentage right now of whether that be friends and family rounds or whether that be, you know, seed round, series A, B, that's kind of the right now being run through community rounds, um, through regulation crowdfunding is really small. And so we're just trying to grow that as fast as we can. We've grown about 4x in the last year since these rule changes went into effect. Um, so that's good. It's a good start. We want to accelerate that growth. Um, and so, yeah, there's no, I personally, there's no real kind of, you know, marker. It's just, it's a really high mountain. We can't see the top. Let's run up it um, as fast as we can. You know, and we, we have a goal of getting 20,000, you know, funding 20,000 startups throughout America. I think we talk about that on our, on our PPC impact report. But for me, like when we hit 20,000, it's like, okay, great. Now let's go for 200,000. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, there's no kind of like formal no, that's, kind of market. Uh, that's, that, that's awesome. And the other, the other thing as well um, is, yeah, please. you know, it's it's not just the aggregate number again, right? But it's like, you know, what percentage of that is is going to um, female founders, the founders of color? And, you know, are we kind of getting more geographic dispersion of capital and um, throughout the country? Are we funding, you know, sectors that we as a society, you know, would benefit from? I got to think that part of the reason why healthcare and education costs have spiraled over the last decades is that there's been relatively less funding of that versus the DoorDashes and Ubers of this world. So, you know, that kind of, it's not just the aggregate numbers, but it's also, and going back to the kind of the point about the wisdom of the the crowd versus the wisdom of the um, the elites, you know, when we say the crowd makes better decisions or, you know, good decisions, like part of this is how do you define better, right? And so there's better in terms of IRR narrowly defined as kind of financial returns. And then there's also better in terms of from a, you know, equity, diversity and inclusion perspective or a kind of, you know, maximizing the benefits to society perspective. I give I give I wrote a blog about this um, going back to, our, you know, with the restaurant we're going to found together um, <laughs> where, um, you know, I, I give this example of imagine a restaurant owner, right? Where restaurants are super risky businesses, right? A lot of them fail, right? 
And so if you're an investor, an angel investor writing a $50,000 check to help this um, restauranteur found her restaurant, maybe in order to make a return on that, given the super high uh, likelihood of default, you need to charge a really high interest rate, right? But the problem is if you charge a really high interest rate, then restaurants are operating on super thin margins. And so that's kind of punitively expensive capital. So either the entrepreneur takes that loan, but then the cost of the capital, the, the interest rate on the loan kind of means the business doesn't really get off the ground, or they decide not to take the loan because they know they can't make the, the business case work, right? So, but that's like the market says the interest rate needs to be this in order to cover the rate of default. And so the business doesn't get funded. But what if you could take that 50K loan and turn it into 100 loans of $500 each, um, or you know, 500 loans of $100 each. And then that, that investor, they invested $100 in that restaurant. And as a perk of investing, every time they go and have a meal at the restaurant, they get a glass of wine for, for that costs, you know, would otherwise cost 10 bucks. Okay. So Johnny, we've, we've got a lot of, we've got a great mix of explaining how the system works with the, with the broader idea. Obviously there are on deck community members and ODX founders who are at various stages of their startup entrepreneurship journeys. I'd love you just to just really give a, a shout out to them, why they should think about this space, like why they should get excited and how they should think about, let's just say, the next year as this space continues to evolve. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I pitched to, to on deck fellows and, you know, founders would be, you know, as if and when you're raising capital, consider, at least consider, you know, talk to our team and, you know, get more info than you, you can in this podcast. Um, you know, consider raising part of your next round from your customers and community, um, as well as uh, from VCs and angels. Um, and and you can have kind of angels invest through WeFunder. Um, we do $50,000 is the minimum up to $5 million. Um, and the idea is, you know, there's two kind of value props, I guess, to founders, right? One is, this is an easier way to raise money because you can publicly promote, because you can get your Twitter followers to invest very easily. Um, they don't have to be accredited. You get in front of WeFunders million investors who typically account for about a third of the, the amount raised. It's just an easier way to raise money. It's a way to raise money that uses this cool thing called the internet. And it, it's it's so crazy to me how in 2022... <laughs> Right, like the age of, <laughs> you know, TikTok and and Twitter, the standard process for raising money is that you're pitching only rich people behind closed doors. It just seems so anachronistic. So that's the kind of the first value proposition is easier way to raise capital. And then the second idea is, hey, wouldn't it be cool to delight your customers by letting them invest in you? Wouldn't it be cool to build stronger ties amongst the community of users that you're trying to build to, to let them invest in you? Um, and yeah, uh, wefunder.com slash raise. You can learn more. It's very, very easy to find our team on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever. Um, and we would love to talk to any on-deck fellows who are looking at raising capital and want to learn more about WeFunder as an option. Well, Johnny, um, I'm torn because I was super jazzed to do uh, a restaurant with you. And then you pointed out how uh, difficult the actual business is. So, you know, if the <laughs> podcasting industry goes belly up, if um, founders just aren't interested in racing from communities, I guess we'll have to revisit that as our, our last alternative. But Johnny, this has been, this has been really great. Um, 
huge fan of we founders from this conversation and i really suggest that on deck community members and founders and odx and beyond just check it out thanks for joining us on the deep it's been a pleasure Thanks for joining us in the deep end. If you enjoyed your stay, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with your friends and colleagues to help grow the show with us. We've also got show notes and more episodes available at ideas.beyonddeck.com. See you next time.